most of the time we were trying to solve your problems. And you know what? We still are. Not mine or James or Maddie's, yours. You're dead, Laura, but your problems keep hanging around. Hello, and welcome to Damn Fine Podcast, the show that's revisiting, reanalyzing, and re-enjoying, may I say, the television show Twin Peaks. I'm Tom Merritt. With me, the man who smells like a Douglas fir, Ron Richards. (laughs) I was afraid you were going to say like burning engine oil. (laughs) No, or cream corn, either one. (laughs) Or cream corn. (laughs) But yes. How's it going, Ron? uh, Going well. Re-enjoying is the the appropriate verb. I I just got to say, I mean, I'm having so much fun watching these episodes again. And it's been, I realized I was watching today's episode. It's been a few years since I've done a full season two rewatch. So Ah. it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of, it's familiar, but it's also like new to me again. So it's great. You know, I, I haven't been able to track down exactly how many times I've watched the show because like you, it hasn't always been all the way through seasons one and season two. There was obviously when it aired, there was a rewatch with my girlfriend in Champaign, Illinois, uh, on VHS. There was definitely a rewatch some point in Austin then there was a rewatch when they came out on DVD. And then most recently, I rewatched the entire run in October of not this past year, but the year before. I, I couldn't even do that level of detail that you just did because... And there's plenty of other smatterings in there as well. Well, yeah, because there were, there were a couple of years in San Francisco after the DVDs came out. And then also when the Blu-rays came out, where like Thanksgiving weekend, we're like, all right, I'm going to watch Twin Peaks. And I pretty much made it to like the season premiere of season two and then stopped. Right. So I've watched season one a lot. Season two is where I fall off. But for me, there was I was in college when they were doing the repeats on Bravo. So it was it was a a coin flip when I'd come home from class and turn on the TV and either I would either watch an episode of Twin Peaks on Bravo or an episode of The Wonder Years on TV Land or an episode of Law and Order on um, what channel on A&E. Those yeah. were those were like the three go-to repeats for us in the late '90s. Like knew them by heart. So uh, oh, and I'm certain I caught some of those Bravo oh, reruns. Absolutely, yeah. At some yeah, point. yeah. Anyway, but well, uh, but yeah, this is a, this is an adventure, and I love it. So is it safe to say we were both tuned in at on October 13th, 1990? That's for sure. Saturday, October 13th, 1990, for uh, episode three of season two. Uh, it's second night in at uh, in the new time slot of Saturday at 10 p.m. And I would like to say that the excitement around this episode continued after the premiere, but it, it continues the decline. Um, so yeah, so uh, season two, episode three, German subtitle, The Man Behind Glass. Doesn't make any sense to me at all. None, maybe, maybe it's nicer in German. So Perhaps. Um, yeah, I don't, know, I don't know what that, what is that alluding the to? The Man Behind Glass? <laughs> but, um, no. but yeah, so this was, this was uh, written by Robert Engels and directed by Leslie Linkaglatter, who are names that we recognize. Although Robert Engels' last episode was, I think, episode four of season one. So it's been a while since he's come back. Interesting note about him that we didn't mention um, when we talked about episode four of season one. Uh, he actually co-wrote the movie Fire Walk With Me with uh, David Lynch and not Mark Frost. Oh. Yeah, very, is, very good to note. Yeah. Uh, and and if you watch Fire Walk With Me, which we will before we uh, start the Showtime uh, rewatch, or, and it's not a rewatch at that point, it's just a watch-watch, uh, it has a different tone. Yes. Even, it has many similarities, obviously, because of Lynch, but it, it you can sort of 
by subtraction, note the influence of Frost. Yes, and and I feel like, especially in this episode, you get a sense of Engels's ability to move the plot along while still keeping us confused the way David Lynch likes it. Yeah, so, like, yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, so it kind of makes sense that he he David Lynch kind of latched onto him and worked with him on the movie as opposed to Frost, which is weird considering I'm sure Frost worked on the movie, but like how much of yeah, this, yeah. how much of a baby Twin Peaks was for Frost? I'm curious. I need to do more research to see what was going on and and what Frost was doing at that time. But um, well, uh, let's dig in and, well, and try to figure out who this man is behind the glass, Ron. Before we do, I just want to touch on the ratings. The ratings. Oh, oh, sorry. Um, yeah, you yeah, mentioned yeah. that the ratings were down, but so you didn't ra- say what they were. The ratings are down. So, and, and on October thirteenth, uh, Twin Peaks once again came in third place out of three. Um, it got an eight point nine rating with, with a seventeen share, which basically means that thirteen point seven million people watched it. And at that same time slot. Uh, it came in. This is really bad. Um, actually, no. It came in second. Well, this is hard to d- determine. Um, Carol and Company on NBC, the Carol Burnett sitcom, uh, won the time slot with a 19.6 rating. <laughs> Nin- no, sorry, 19.6 million viewers with a 13.5 uh-huh. rating and a 25 share. Um, and at the same time, as far as I could tell, and there's not like. I'm one step away from going to the library and getting microfiche out to find these ratings. So, like, I, I'm not getting exactly what's going on. But it looks as if on Saturday night, October 13, 1990, CBS aired a two-hour episode of The Flash. which Oh, right. Which I got, forgot that that was going on at the same time. Yeah, exactly. Which is funny because The Flash is one of my favorite shows on TV right now on the CW. But, uh, um, but and actually, it, and, it, and the That Flash from 1990... Yes. plays the current Flash's father in the CW Flash. Yes, there you go. Uh, but that, the show isn't about the Flash. But uh, So the Flash in its 9 o'clock time slot uh, had only had 12 million viewers with a, with a 7.3 rating. So technically, Twin Peaks came ahead of it, but who knows what was going on at 10 o'clock, so what are you going to do? But even, no matter what, Carol Burnett continues to be more popular <laughs> than, Twin, than Twin Peaks. So. I, and it's understandable. Yeah, I sure. mean, she's a legend. A storied career. So. I would also point out that 13.7 million would win any night <laughs> now <laughs> currently. Yep. I just did a look and I know it's Thursday versus Saturday, but I looked up October 13th, 2016 yep. top rated show was Thursday night football with a 3.0. That's crazy. <laughs> and 10.8 million, 10.08 million. Jeez. Yeah. So less people watched football this year on TV than watched Twin Peaks in 1990. Right? And that was the least popular show that that, that hour. Oh, that's crazy. That night. The, yeah. yeah and, and football was the most popular show yeah. on in 2016 that's at that crazy. same time. All right. So that said, let's get into it. Um, I was really impressed with the opening shot of this episode. Leslie Linka-Gladder getting a little uh, almost 360 camera on us. Yeah, she. I mean, if bullet time had existed, one yeah. would have, one would have thought maybe she would have wanted to go bullet time on this. <laughs> well, th- this episode, there's a couple of interesting camera tricks that Leslie Lincoln Gladder uses in this episode, um, and some interesting shots. I'll try to call them out here and there, but um, this this kind of kicks us off in the hospital, and we get kind of a spinning camera shot as we see Ronette Pulaski uh, being pushed back onto her bed after she's freaking out, and then the camera kind of spins around the room to see all the hubbub. Yeah. And then uh, we we find out uh, as Cooper arrives uh, that she had pulled out her IV. Uh, and at first, and I've seen this scene a million times, but it never struck me. At first, when Albert looks at the IV and says, looks like die, I thought this was just another, you know, Lynchian like moment 
where they kind of break the frame and point out that that's not really an IV full of stuff. But then it turns out that may be part of the problem. Right. Yeah. So, so th th this whole scene, I like how this scene starts disorienting us. And my first question is when we get that camera spin around, uh, you know, the, the, an orderly and, and, uh, and a, a, a deputy or some sort of security guard are trying to hold Ron at down. And then the camera spins and we see, we see Truman who leans over and adjusts the machine where I was like, why is he touching that machine? Um, yeah, he's not he a doctor. Um, and I understand it. So for instantly, we don't know what's going on. There's a lot of hubbub. And as Truman explains it, um, he says it's, it's, it appears that someone had visited Ronette and tried to swap out her IV in, in an attempt to kill her probably. Well, and and slipped a letter B yes. under her thumb, under her fingernail because they just hadn't got around to it before, well, and it was uh, about time. That, but didn't that, kill her. No, that's that's what I. Th that, this is what I, th I. I watched it. I had to rewind when I watched this scene. Um, when I watched this episode just now, and I watched the scene again. He put the B under her nail tonight like when they, when he well that's visited. what i'm saying like yeah, right. apparently bob or whoever yeah. didn't get the b in we knew that right. but decided to come back and do it tonight but not kill her well no i think he intended to kill her with the iv oh like so, well, so that's just so unbob like so, so what i know it is it's very not violent but yeah so whatever whatever he put into the iv that was the blue dye was meant to was meant to kill her and then the the, the letter would be there under her nail and right. that's how he does it. Yeah, very, I mean, almost stealthy Bob, not uh, violent in the train car beating with a pipe Bob. <laughs> and then, of course, Cooper uh, tells about the giant and Albert lets us know that, yes, we did see a dwarf last season and asks if it, if the giant has any relation to the dwarf because giant dwarf, right? We're all thinking it. It's funny because when, when Cooper comes clean about the dream and explains the clues and you see like kind of the Truman's got a look of wonder while Albert almost, I feel like, is the voice of critics in the, so yes. a meta kind of thing, where he just like because because for so long the thing that was related to Twin Peaks was the little man, and uh, of course Albert brings that back. So well done. Also, when when is this? Because we saw Ronette freak out, and then we saw Cooper at home in yeah. his bed. And so, then now we're seeing Ronette freak out again. That, so it's that, a different freak out. Yeah, that was my that was my question. Um, as because again, you start this episode, it doesn't pick up off the cliffhanger of Audrey at One Eye Jacks, right? Uh, or of the uh, from last episode, or of all the visions and Maddie and all that sort. You know, um, Cooper having the visions and that sort of thing. Um, so it starts off. I had no idea when it was. I'm now. You know how I'm. I I know I get pedantic with this stuff, and I apologize. But I'm looking at the timeline here, and technically in Twin Peaks time. This is Sunday, March 5th, all right? Okay. And so um, Laura Palmer died on, um, I want to say, February um, February 24th. That's what it is. I just looked it up. It was I was going to say February 28th. But so she died February 24th. So it has now been 11 days since Laura died. So well, remember that. That's going to come into uh, play later on. But yeah, so, right. this is, so this is the next day after last episode. <laughs> let's uh, let's move on to Mr. Harold Smith's house, uh, where Donna p finally gets to pay a visit, and we get to meet Harold Smith. And, and he turns out to be a fetching young man, not who I expected. Uh, this is the moment. This is the moment I remember in 1990 when I was like, "Oh, I don't know if this is any good." Uh huh. <laughs> right? I, 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 as soon as he shows up, and and no no um, no disrespect to Lenny Von Dolan, yeah, no. uh, fan, fantastic actor, <laughs> but but it is not who we all expected, and feels very un Twin Peaks in some weird way. It's just weird. So like so Donna shows up again, not sexy Donna like the season two premiere episode one. She's just kind of regular Donna, and 
almost immediately they're cramming. It feels like I'm being forced to understand that Harold is quirky. Yes. You know, like, you know, cause she says hello and he goes, you're wearing a different color sweater. Like, all right, quirky guy. And then he offers her lemonade and, and, and saltines. And it's like, oh, he's a weird guy. Right. Um, so. And there's a torn piece of paper on the bookshelf that Don is investigating and he sees her and comes in and interrupts her because he doesn't want her, her snooping around. There's something going on with this guy. What is she thinking, by the way, when he, he goes off, he goes off to get the or he, he so they meet, they chat and he he asks her to uh, to he, he grows orchards. That's the whole thing. He uh, he's a he's a botanist and he asks if uh, Donna will because he's a shut in. Uh, will Donna put an orchard on on Laura's grave for her? And he goes to get it. You, you call it orchard or orchid? Orchid. <laughs> Sorry. Welcome to my long. I don't know if that was a regional thing. I didn't want to. I didn't want to cast aspersions. No. Orchid. You're right. I have a reputation for mispronouncing things sometimes. So. <laughs> orchid. Um, but so he goes to get the orchid, and Donna sees this piece of paper, and I don't know if she's inspired by the Jacoby Scooby Dang Scooby Gang stuff. That's what. What I, made her if, think if that I can get in character this. for Donna to be snooping around? The whole reason she's there is to find out more about Laura. Right. And so it makes sense to me that she'd be like, oh, what's that? Yeah. Um, when she's talking to Harold and and saying he doesn't seem like a shut-in because he's a, a fetching early 90s yeah, fashion icon. very fashionable. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, what, what does 17-year-old high school student Donna know about shut, shut-ins, by the way? <laughs> I mean, she watches TV. <laughs> you don't yeah, see- I don't know. You don't seem like a shut. There's got to be a shut in on invitation to love. I know, oh yeah, but um, this really feels like a our, uh, Harold always felt to me like an art of. Remember we talked about in season one how you said Dr. Jacoby played the role of a conduit to Laura. Yeah. This is and and now Harold is the conduit. You know, like he's telling her what Laura thought, and apparently she she he and Laura had this relationship that Donna never knew about, and it's just like oh, it just uh, it's creepy. Uh, I just didn't like. It. It's it's a little creepy. Um, it's, he, he's creepy and I think he's meant to be creepy, but he's creepy in a way that somehow has a different tone than say the Tremonts, right? Yeah. They're creepy, yeah. but it's a very twin peaks, cream corn, burnt engine oil, creepy. Yeah. He just feels creepy as in like, Oh, okay. That's, this is just a weird guy. Yeah. Like it's not that unusual except for the situation. It's, yeah. uh, it's almost over quirky. Yeah. But at the same time, I understand understand why he wants Donna to visit him because he's a shut in and she's a a lovely young lady. Like who wouldn't want some some company, if nothing more? Right. Um, I did like as when the scene ends, uh, Donna leaves and she goes, I'll be back. And he goes, I'll be here because I'm a shut in because, you know, (laughs) a little shut in humor there. (laughs) I know. Um, On to the uh, sheriff's department then. Yeah. So so we cut to the sheriff's department and it's Truman fixing the wheel on the blackboard. Which I'm just like, why? What is he doing? Like, like I just like that was an interesting transition. Like it's 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 Sheriff Truman with a with a wrench fixing the wheel while while Cooper is talking about the letters R, B, and T. Right. So now now we've got three letters. Yes. Uh, one that was under Teresa Banks' nail. One that was under Laura's, and yep. now one under Ronette's. Interesting to me, and almost a little bit of a tip off that they immediately call it R, B, T. Yep. Because B was the most recent one. Wouldn't they naturally want to put that one at the end? Well, and which is funny because they mix later in the episode when uh, Lucy is playing um, uh, Scrabble. Oh, the word game, yeah. They did switch the order that she said She said it was B-T-R or B-R-T. Like it, they, right. they, they did change the order. Maybe so. they're just shuffling it up. Yeah, also, 
uh, immediately one thinks, well, those three letters are all in Albert, right. aren't they? Oh, interesting. I didn't I didn't think about that. Hmm. Mm. I thought about that the very first time through yeah. and was like, oh, maybe. And of course, no. No, yeah. Well, what I, no spoilers, but come on. It's not Albert. Well, what I thought was neat was that so Cooper puts up on the on the chalkboard the, the pencil sketch of Bob and he writes RBT, and then he writes the names of everyone who has seen this this man, never refers to this man as Bob, never refers to this man as the third man. He just keeps on saying this man, this man. Cooper never said the word Bob this episode. Yeah. Now I'm paying attention. Um, but he's got Laura, he's got Ronette, he's got Cooper, and then he adds Maddie because Mrs. Palmer apparently called the station to say that Maddie has had some upsetting visions, which I'm like, oh, that's convenient to happen off camera. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure you all knew right, exactly. so you what everyone who watched the show saw last week. Right, exactly. Like, um, that's fine. That's fine. But yeah, um, but, but th- this is actually one of the, f- this, ha- the, what happens next happens several times through this episode from a uh, directing standpoint where we see two characters, uh, two characters talking and then the camera cuts the reveal. There's another person in the room. Which uh-huh. Leslie Lincoln Gladder does it a few times this episode, and I like it because it's like this because sh- it's Cooper and Truman looking at the the chalkboard, and then Albert chimes in, and the camera cuts, and Albert's sitting all the way at the end on the conference table. You didn't know Albert was Albert was in the room until he spoke up, and it kind of and supports. Albert's got all the best lines, both funny and uh, full of important content. This is a, an this amazing scene. Albert scene. This is one of the yeah. best ones. Yeah. So he he makes the joke about the giant and the beans. That's yep. kind of an obvious one. He also knows that the bee was cut from Flesh World and makes some, you know, amazing comments about Flesh World. Uh, points out to Cooper that he was shot with a Walther PPK, James Bond's gun. So he's a trivia master <laughs> yeah. as well. Uh, and of course... They they've tried to run uh, a, a facial recognition, I guess, in the 1990s on sure. Bob's face, uh, and he's in nobody's database. Well, and at that time it was probably just uh, those binders of pictures, and somebody went yeah, through yeah. the FBI. But he also says that he analyzed the cocaine in James's bike, and it matches the cocaine that Jacques Renault had and that Leo had. And then he delivers the great line, the back and forth with Cooper, and he says, you know, that the cocaine came from Leo. You get the picture, and Cooper says, even got the frame. Yeah, basically so, pointing out that James was being framed by Leo or someone related to Leo. Then, of course, Cooper and Albert uh, get in another fight, and this time Truman can't take it. So he grabs Albert's uh, shirt and tells him that he felt bad the last time he punched him, but he won't feel bad the next time. And then Albert grabs Truman's shirt and says that he re- rejects revenge, aggression, and retaliation and cites Gandhi and King and expresses the foundation of love and then says, I love you, Sheriff Truman, and let's go. I, I love that. I love two things about this. I love that Albert is a pacifist and believes in love, the power of love. And I love that while he's giving this speech, they bring up the Twin Peaks love theme music swelling in the background which previously has just been when people were talking about laura or when james and donna were to get together or you know like or uh, big ed and nadine or no big ed and norma right yes and now yes. we get the love theme of albert and truman <laughs> and this is one of the great things i love about twin peaks yeah. is they look at these flat characters that you expect and they make them do different things and this is one every time i watch this episode it still takes me by surprise, even though I know it's coming yep. because I forget Albert just makes me think, oh, right. He's such a bad guy. I forget that this is going to happen and it's not what you expect at all. And of course, they immediately 
point to it and have Cooper say, Albert's path is a strange and difficult one. Yep. <laughs> so he's an angry man trying to learn to follow the path of Gandhi and King. I, and, and suddenly a character that I found mildly annoying, if not humorous, but you know, occasionally humorous, I now love. Has, has, got, has got depth and meaning. Yeah. And then also when you think about him to – in relation to Cooper and Tibet and mysticism, it's yes. like, oh, these guys are are like the FBI. These FBI agents are cut from a different uh, cloth. Yeah, these yeah. are not your your yeah. uh, dragnet G men. So then Albert storms out, and the scene cuts to the hallway outside the sheriff's department. And this is one of those rare things where Hawk and James are now talking to each other. And see, I, I struggle with this episode because I think this episode was coming off of two episodes in a row directed by Lynch is a it dips in quality, right? You you can tell it's not Lynch, but there are glimmers and moments of greatness like out the Albert scene, but more off this episode had clunky, not good television. And that was an example. This is an example because Hawk and, and James are just clearly be like, oh, just have small talk. And you could tell they're standing there waiting for Albert to walk by and Cooper to walk in. Yeah, like it, just, it, it reminds me of like the the bad scenes in Star Wars when off to the side you see C three PO and Chewbacca, Chewbacca talking to each other, and it's like, well, yeah. what, are they, what are they doing over there? It's, <laughs> it's well, uh, the the one thing that Lynch is a master at yep. is letting a scene breathe, as we have yep. talked about, and this is the opposite kind of scene. You've got James and Cooper, you've got Lucy finding letters, and you have Richard Tremaine showing up, yep. and it's all it's all jumbled together in what is rel- relatively a short space of time. Yeah. So good. Uh, so uh, Richard Tremaine does come in for his lunch date with Lucy. Uh, Hello, Richard, Dick. Richard, yeah, Richard Tremaine is played by Ian Buchanan, who is a bona fide soap opera star. Um, if you go look at his uh, his rundown in IMDb, he's been in them all, like General Hospital, One Life to Live, Bold and the Beautiful. Um, he was on like I think 227 episodes of the Bold and the Beautiful. Um, so we know how Mark Frost, at least, was a, like you know enjoyed soap operas, and Twin Peaks was him and, and David Lynch's attempt to make soap operas. This is the first case of let's take someone from the soap operas and bring him like in. out of the world. Yeah, and did, it's it's entirely he, appropriate for this character who yeah. is just. A you know dripping with insincere molasses. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, but we get it. You know, Lucy's going on a mysterious lunch date. It's so mysterious that it caused Andy to call in sick to work that day, which is sad. But uh, so yeah, in this scene, we find out that James won't be charged for the cocaine. No big surprise there. Uh, we find out that Lucy, as we mentioned earlier, is trying to find as many words as possible that contain B, T, and R. Uh, and Hawk is apparently pretty good with these kinds of puzzles. Yep. In fact, uh, so Richard Tremaine comes in and he he adjusts his hair in the in the in 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 the glass right in front of a no smoking sign, which is obviously put, and then takes a cigarette out. As Hawk then grabs the cigarette, breaks it in half, and says "prohibited," which is a <laughs> word with R, B, and T in it. Yep. As uh, is "robot," which he calls Richard Tremaine right which, after. That. Which then causes Richard Tremaine to say, "I know the I know native the, the Native Americans have a lot to be upset about." And it's like, is that okay? Like, with no, this? it's not. But I, I don't know if it was meant this way. Yeah. But today, I read that as, yeah. He's yeah. Dick. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep. <laughs> so, um, um, but then uh, the camera cuts to uh, uh, what I think is probably the best shot of the the episode. Uh, the shot of Cooper Truman and Hawk standing in the conference room, 
almost all the way up to the right side of the ca- uh, of the frame, and the camera is way back in the back of the room, and it's got a great angle on them. Um, I was like, oh, that's a great transition. But uh, Truman is still trying to understand the giant. Yeah, uh, well, it's, and- <laughs> it's a bit of business to get us in the scene, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Uh, and, and the scene is Leland storming up with the pic- sketch of Bob saying that he knows this person and then repeating mm-hmm. what we learned last episode about the guy who lived in the house on Pearl Lakes. But we get a, we get a couple, two other bits of information. Right? Yeah. We, we, um, yeah. He thinks his last name was Robertson, Bob, Bob yeah. Robertson. Yeah. Sure. Uh, and he used to flick matches at Leland and say things like, you want to play with fire, little boy? Which causes Truman's eyes to get real big because, oh, isn't that what James told him Laura was saying to him? Right. Yep. Two and, and two just made four. Yeah. And I don't think Cooper is in the room for that. So has Truman told Cooper that yet? Uh, it, it's certainly likely that yeah. in keeping him briefed on the case, he would have. Yeah. So, uh, so big development in the hunt and Cooper and Cooper grabs the match. I, I like that Leland goes as far to flick the match and it lands in the ashtray like good shot. And Cooper's like, this is our man. Like Cooper no, knows that they're zeroing in on the guy. Yeah. The man who flicks the matches is the man, Cooper. <laughs> uh, we so- move on then to the diner uh, where Dick is explaining his mnemonic inventory management system oh, and boring the crap out of Lucy. Yep. Um, there's nowhere else to get lunch in this town, I guess. I mean, oh, the- not, not that's any good. Come on. Norma <laughs> runs this place. It's awesome. Well, but then, but Lucy does, as she's talking to Dick and kind of giving us the exposition on their relationship, uh, she does mention that he took, he took her to the pancake plantation, which I assume is the other restaurant in town. Yeah. Uh, see, he didn't even, he didn't have the, cause he was supposed to take her to the Seattle space needle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and instead took her to the pancake plantation, which she actually was fine with. Yeah. Uh, but then they ended up on a display bed in Horn's home furnishings. So he didn't even take her to his house. Naughty. Naughty. Do, doing it in the department store after hours. Wow. I wanted to know, how did these two even meet? You know, like... At the know, department store, I would assume. But he worked in men, He works in menswear. Why would... I don't, I don't know. Uh, maybe she was <laughs> buying a gift for dad or yeah. grandpa or yeah. something. Well, so, um, so, you know, after getting schooled on the European way of eating, um, <laughs> and as, as he's smoking at lunch, which is something that would never happen today, uh, Lucy finally has it and she, uh, yells at him and tells him that she's pregnant. Well, uh, yeah. Cause he offers to buy her a dress with his employee discount to make up for jerk. the fact that he never called her again. Yeah. Uh, so she rightly gets mad and says, how about a maternity dress? Oh, and everybody stops and looks at her. Yeah. Including... James and Maddie, because, you know, everybody's everybody's eating lunch here today. It's the best place to eat. I don't see why you don't see that, Ron. Um, I can. I So James and Maddie are sitting uh, in a booth together on the same side of the booth. And, and that freaks me out. I know they're waiting for Donna to show up. But like my natural inclination is to sit across from whoever I'm eating. And whenever two people are sitting Unless together, it's <laughs> you're trying to, you know, yep. get closer. Yep. Um, and yeah, so James starts asking Maddie, uh, if Donna seems different, if the smoking bothers her and I, I'll give, I'll give the writer, I'll give uh, Engels credit for having Maddie go. I don't know. I barely know the girl. <laughs> She's like, she says, James. I don't know. What, yeah. <laughs> also, um, let's say Maddie, I'm not saying she is, but let's say Maddie's playing along with this flirtation with James. She don't want to talk about Donna anymore. Does she? Right. Yeah, no, exactly. Well, well, and James is clearly upset. So she starts, Maddie's trying to console him, and she puts puts her hand in his hand, and the the 
awful music from last episode. Just which, you. Which I guess is now James and Maddie's theme. Uh, oh, my gosh. Their, yeah. their relationship is obviously doomed if that's their theme. Yeah, oh, it's so bad. I did like what James was talking about, how Donna was acting different, how she visited him in jail, and it was like she wanted to do it between the bars. Yeah, Maddie Just, seems a little bugged by all that. Well, yeah, and sure. also, James, I, uh, that, that would be difficult. <laughs> I mean, maybe you could, but yeah, but, <laughs> but I she mean, didn't, she didn't care who was there. That's basically what it was because she's acting like Laura. it's, you know, it's James speaking. Yeah. We can't we can't analyze too closely the actual logic behind his words. So, so uh, now, of course, yeah, he's so bad in this episode. Um, but uh, yeah, so they're holding hands and Donna walks in and sees them. And I got to give them credit to finally have one of these teenagers act like a teenager. Sure. You know, like, right? She doesn't. She doesn't back off. Nope. Uh, she walks right up, uh, talks about Harold Smith, and then makes a catty comment about how he's bright, charming, and intelligent, completely like anybody I know. Yep. And storms off. You know, you know, you can you can sit there and hold hands and try to figure it out. And storms off, super passive aggressive and super, you know, just teenagery yeah. and, and jealous. Sit here and hold hands and try to figure it out. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I, I did like, even though James was awful and his response to Donna when she came in was as if he's reading off cue cards, but, um, Donna, I thought was great in terms of acting like a teenager. Then someone who is not acting like a teenager is Audrey up at one eyed Jack's where she's getting tied up and filmed and, uh, Blackie is preparing to inject her with some sort of, sort of drug. All I have to say about this is, oh my God, this is so fucked up. I'm sorry. This is so screwed up. And she is, Blackie's plan, now that she knows who she is, is to keep Audrey at One-Eyed Jacks and get her addicted to heroin, just like Ben did to Blackie, and then make Ben pay enough to get Audrey back to buy him out of One-Eyed Jacks. I mean, I'm kind of glad that that's the way that's the Blackie reaction because you think, oh, well, Audrey's going to be able to get out because it's Ben's daughter. But then Ben's going to know she was there. And so that will be the drama of him discovering that she sneaked in. But no, Blackie goes rogue. I like this. But but, but, but the the forcibly injecting her with heroin. Yeah, man. That's what Ben did to her. Payback's a bitch, ain't it, Ben Horn? Now, I will say in 1990, young 13 year old Ron who previously didn't understand what Blackie was doing with the tube and the little baggie that Jerry gave her, had no idea what was going on here. And I remember I'm like, what are they, just knocking her out? Like, I thought they were making her sleep, which I I'll guess be honest, they are. Even, even college-age me, because I'm watching broadcast television, is assuming that, oh, it's like sodium pentothal or something, right? Oh, it's yeah, just a course, sedative. Yeah. Yeah. Until she says something about riding the white horse. Yes, <laughs> And then I'm like, holy, did they just say that? And I think on- later in the episode, she says she's going to make her a junkie. Like, like it, it totally, like they went there. Like, this is yeah. bold. This is like, this is Saturday, 10 p.m. viewing. So <laughs> I just, maybe I, that's it. Maybe that's, oh. that solves it all. Yeah. yeah they yeah. knew they could finally get away with the things they want. Uh, we go back to the sheriff's department uh, where we follow up on Mike, who seems to have been there a couple of days waiting right? to show Sheriff Truman some shoes. So if you remember, Mike showed up to the, sher- to the sheriff's department and was saying, is now a good time? and we never saw him again. I guess he's just been sitting in this room setting up the display of shoes. Or maybe <laughs> off camera they said, oh, you know what? It's not I a good time. I Come know. back tomorrow. I know, I know, but still. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but of course, as as I mentioned last episode, you want to pay attention to that sketch of Bob because it's going to keep showing up. Yep. And he sees the sketch of Bob on Sheriff Truman's desk. 
gets flustered and then says he's disoriented and asks to go take his medicine. Yes. So he he shuffles off to the bathroom, which then leads Truman to walk into his office uh, where Shelly is sitting. And uh, and Shelly's saying she doesn't want to testify against Leo and Truman. Which really? Like, you're going to make Shelly wait while you looked at shoes? I know. It's so weird. Well, right. but turns out, so Truman explains to Shelly that uh, that she's not testifying, that she just needs to give a statement. And then Leslie Lincoln Gladder, camera cuts. And, oh, Cooper was sitting there the whole time. Like, yep. Did it again. Like, it's, and, it, and, like, that's Gladder's little playful, I don't want to say lynchism, but, like, that's her. It's know, a Gladderism. It's a Gladderism. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I love, and Cooper realizes what's going on and then quickly says, and what I'm assuming is that Cooper was talking to Shelly. And when right. when Mike goes to the bathroom, Truman's like, oh, I'll go in and join them. I'll and, check yeah, in on yeah, him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but Cooper, so Truman wants to try to talk her into making a statement, even yeah. though she's resisting. And Cooper realizes that that's just a waste of time. Yeah, that 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 he he uh, he thinks he he leads Shelly out and says, no, no, absolutely, you're right. Protect your husband, who you love and who loves you. And like, very, you get that he and Shelly is flabbergasted a little. And then uh, Cooper explains to uh, Truman that he, he's sniffing out an insurance scam, but they they don't yep. know who's the other end of the uh, the equation. So. Then we go back to Mike in the bathroom where he is injecting himself in with the, something in the leg. Uh, yeah, there's a vein in your leg. All right. Again, I know nothing. I'm not a, an intravenous drug user, but uh, I mean, but I don't know. Diabetes. This, I, I assume this is prescription medicine to keep his alter self suppressed yeah. is what I've always assumed. Right. Yeah. yeah possibly. Uh, but of course, he's too late. Because seeing Bob's picture has woken the inner Mike, and uh, the inner Mike makes him drop his meds, and then he becomes full-on Mike and says, Bob, I know you're near. I'm after you now, and takes off. Yeah. Oh, creepy. Um, I got to give the, the the actor who plays the one-armed man credit that he 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 does – when he goes into Bob mode, he's a got great delivery, so – uh, if you've never watched Lost, this may be lost on you, but the two men, the man in black and the other one on the island, uh, I feel like are very much inspired by this duality here. Uh, and obviously dualities are, are part of storytelling forever, but it, it feels like Mike and Bob are, are that same kind of good and evil pair. Right. And um, and to give uh, the actor who plays uh, plays the one our man Al Strobel credit. So good job there. Yep. <laughs> then we go back to Cooper at the Great Northern. He gets around. He was just at the sheriff's department a second ago uh, and comes off the elevator with a marching band. That's kind of Lynchian. Very Lynchian. Very, very Lynchian. Yep. The uh, Hong Kong businessman is watching him, but Cooper's there to talk to Ben about Audrey. Right. But the, the Asian uh, businessman is sitting there still reading possibly the same paper from yesterday. Like just well, very, very spooky, I think. He doesn't care. <laughs> it's just a prop for him. Yeah, He's spying on Cooper. Yeah, but so uh, Cooper feels the need to tell Ben that Audrey had called him the night before, which drives my question, where's the sense of urgency around this? Like, if Well, you, Ben, we mentioned last episode that Ben doesn't seem that concerned, and he seems even less concerned now. Well, uh, yeah. In fact, he's more concerned that Cooper is too interested in Audrey. Right, but why isn't Cooper more concerned? Because well, he's got a murderer to catch. Well, yeah, 
Yeah, but I but I feel like you get a phone call like the phone call I got last night that gets cut off in the middle of it. You go, ah, you know, like I don't know. I just feel like. Oh, you mean why wasn't he talking to Ben before like now? First thing, first thing yeah, in the morning. Maybe he couldn't get a hold of Ben. <laughs> yeah, and I know Ronette was freaking out, and yeah, I yeah. understand. There's but, a lot going on. There's a lot going on. But I'm yeah, willing no, to give him this. Yeah, but basically, so Ben picks up on Cooper's uh, possibly uh, inappropriate affections towards Audrey, and and warns him to steer steer away with a lot of uh, innuendo and analogies about Audrey's uh, feminine wiles, his his teenage daughter, by the way. <laughs> yes. Uh, meanwhile, his teenage daughter is out of it on a bed where a man is rubbing a black veil over her face and forcing candy in her mouth before he shoots her back up again. And it turns out they felt bad about killing Jacques Renault, so they want another French guy, and this is Jacques Renault's brother, Jean Renault. So now this uh, Jean Renault is played by Michael Parks, uh, who you might recognize uh, as one of the many uh, great actors that Quentin Tarantino used in movies like Kill Bill and Django Unchained sure. and things like that. So uh, this is uh, this is you know a storied actor. Like uh, his IMDb profile says that he's he's a guy, he's a guy that actors refer to as an actor's actor. Um, you know, with, with with a huge range and a great resume. Go to IMDb. He's been working since the 60s. And this is a real, real actor. And what does he do? He shows up and does a horrible Quebecois accent. <laughs> His name is Jean Renault. <laughs> he is French-Canadian. So, also, I mean, also, I mean, there are French-Canadians on that side of Canada. But I think it's hilarious that we have so many French-Canadians involved when we're we're – what we're below like Calgary. Well, it's in, it's it's funny. I because, guess we're closer to Vancouver, really. Yeah, it's it's funny though because I was um I did, did you get a, have you read the Reflections, the oral history of Twin Peaks book? Uh, no, I Brad haven't Peaks? read it yet. So yeah, so I I, I uh, actually Connor, our previous guest, got that for me for Christmas or my, oh, I think Christmas last good year. Job, Connor. Yeah, and I um read through that, and one of the things that it says is that um uh when they brought in uh Parks to play it, they said just do a regular accent. Um, but he actually also felt that the um, that the French Canadian accent had more of a flavor to it, um, okay. you know. And so, and then uh, Gladder explained to him that the Renaults didn't hadn't really used French accents, although they did. I thought the the other brother Jacques did. had a little bit of one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But so she was trying to tell him, no, just do a Canadian accent. They didn't have French accents. And Parks's response was, "That's their fucking problem." <laughs> <laughs> and so, and so, basically, uh, uh, they He's had like, to go. No. Yeah, my name's Jean. I'm doing a French Canadian accent. And so, um, and so ultimately, this went up to David Lynch they, to resolve it. They said, "What do we do?" And Lynch told Michael Parks he could do whatever he wanted. He sided with Parks on this and not Gladder. Nice. So, yeah, interesting. Uh, this scene is a little all over the place too. Emery oh, identifies man. Cooper in the surveillance footage as being the FBI agent. We get introduced to Blackie's sister <laughs> for some reason, who's with Jean, and her name's Nancy. And Blackie doesn't want her there, but Jean wants her there. And then Jean asks. Emery to bring Cooper to him, like kidnap an FBI agent, I guess. And you get the guy who works at Horn's department store to do it. Well, so uh, basically Jean is now involved because he's going to be the go-between and that, the, that Jean is going to go to Ben Horn to ask for the money to get Audrey yeah, back. Yeah. Okay. And once fair. he does that, then he'll be able to get Cooper. And I don't see how those two actions are linked. Because <laughs> right? they're saying that Ben can 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 bring Cooper into it, but these are a whole lot of assumptions and ifs, and th this is a bad plan. <laughs> also, they're going to kill Audrey either way, apparently, because yeah. the last line is, "Of course, we can't let the girl live now, can we?" Yeah, oh, weird. 
So, uh, so that that some intrigue as Audrey is doped up in the other room because he shot her up again too. By the way, which is yeah, right, creepy. of course. Um, uh, back to the sheriff's office where it has been a long time since we've seen a donut in this series, and thankfully Cooper has one in his hand and is saying it's time for a break. Yep. Uh, when Harry reveals that Josie will be back tomorrow afternoon and harry asks if he can see josie alone first and cooper's a little resistant to that well first cooper like because cooper says bring her in for questioning because they got to go with the mill and all stuff like that she is now a person of interest um and but harry wants to talk to her first and first cooper's by the book he's like oh we can't be personal about this we got to do the right thing and then harry kind of protests again and and for me the bromance kicked in yeah you know cooper was he's just, just- like, you, you bring Truman her can in. do no wrong. Yeah, he goes, you bring her in, you talk to her. So it's like, oh, man, Cooper compromised. Um, and then Hawk comes back from investigating the Pearl Lakes house. He found the White House. It's all boarded up now. Yeah. Uh, Truman lets on that Mike was there, and Cooper finds this very interesting because the one-armed man knew Bob. So Cooper goes to look for him in the bathroom. I guess, I guess he said, I'm going to the bathroom. So that would be, yeah, he said, I'm going to the bathroom. The Tr- to to find him. Truman remembers that like how many hours have passed where Truman's like, oh, yeah. yeah, what happened to him? Like, obviously Truman is not the investigator that Cooper is. <laughs> Last I knew he said he was going to the bathroom and he never came back. Um, I wasn't concerned though, because I'm a law enforcement officer. <laughs> um, and so Cooper, Cooper gets all excited and runs to the bathroom where we find out that the men's room has two very large French doors that open up <laughs> into the bathroom, which is just weird. But, um, and they find the, they find the Syringe and Cooper says, you know, with without ke- with chemicals he points. Without chemicals he points, and that's but the. Where uh, is the pointing? Well, the point is the syringe, the tip of the syringe. <sighs> but without that's... chemicals, like, did what wasn't wasn't what he was shooting up chemicals? I don't know. Yeah, that, I mean, without chemicals, I get like yeah. he didn't get his syringe, but. Yeah. Point being the syringe. That's not he points. That's without chemicals. There's a point on the ground. Yeah, uh, I don't know. It's a stretch, but it, it, I always found the resolution of the three clues to be rather disappointing. Well, yeah, because they came up with these great kind of uh, whimsical terms for the giant to say, and they didn't figure out yeah. what he was going to say. <laughs> well, and maybe you could say that the point is that they're the kinds of things that are pattern recognition, right? They don't actually fit, but because you're looking for them, you see them. Yeah, yeah, could be that too. Uh, then uh, we go to the hospital where Nadine is being soft cuffed to a bed. Not only soft cuffed to a bed, but if you notice, the soft cuffs are attached to chains. Yes, they're <laughs> Uggs with chains <laughs> right. because apparently she ripped two pair of leather restraints like tissue paper. Uh, and uh, Doc Hayward has explained to Ed that she's got adrenaline coursing through her and that this is for her own safety um, and that they, and maybe Ed being there will calm her down. And he suggests maybe he should sing to her. Yeah, which he does yes. after he asked Doc to leave the room. Uh, he starts singing on top of old Smokey, <laughs> terribly romantic. And then Nadine starts crushing his hand. Yep. <laughs> and then she breaks the restraints and starts clapping and doing a cheer and then says, hi, Eddie. And mentions about how she needs to get to cheerleading tryouts. Because you're only 18 once. And thus. Yeah. So finally, (laughs) the thing that I always think of Nadine about happens all the way in the third episode of season two. Yep. One of the one of the uh, this is like the slow deflating of air from a balloon. Like this is this is this is one of the downfall of season two storylines that is now beginning. So. So um, Cooper has been in the hospital to the sheriff's department, to the Great Northern, back to the sheriff's department and now is in the hospital. uh, And a woman is tending to Dr. Jacoby with candles and a foot massage as he walks in. And Jacoby introduces her as his wife, Aolani, who lives in Hanalei. 
And and they've decorated his his bed with all the Hawaiian accoutrements. It's very nice. They've got the music playing, and apparently Cooper is there to hypnotize uh, Doctor Jacoby because he's already been programmed with auto suggestion, and he yes. gives Cooper his script, which is a a wonderful telling of being calm and on the golf course. And it's so soothing, in fact, that Sheriff Truman almost gets hypnotized, <laughs> which I like. Uh, I love I love Jacoby's dream about juggling coconuts in front of Nigerians. It's yeah. just. Yep. Good, good Twin Peaks silliness. But of course, the point is to find out who killed Jacques Renault. And Jacoby says he sees the person, he sees his face. I know him. Well, well, and and before that, Cooper asks him about the smelling the engine oil, and Jacoby says he smells it in the park. So right. the engine oil was in the park when he saw Maddie. And then he doesn't go back to – because he said – previously, Jacoby said he smelt it in the hospital. Well, now we know who the person spying on Maddie behind Jacoby was. Possibly. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so so now we know that Jacoby knows who murdered Jacques Renault. Um, and then we get a great uh, – a couple of you know kind of eerie location shots, the moon, the trees, and we linger on an owl. And uh, as we find out that Donna is visiting Laura's grave – now, remember how I said this is 11 days after Laura's uh, murder? Yeah. Uh, Laura's grave is completely sod planted, and she has a headstone. They do things right in the Twin Peaks cemetery. Uh, uh, they don't mess around. Apparently, it is very quick to get very someone buried. Yeah, exactly. Buried and headstone built and everything. <laughs> but I understand the, the dramatic effect. So it's Now, fine. this is a typical uh, graveside scene. Like, uh, I'm so mad that you're gone and everything's a mess with James. And I should tell you that I'm with James now. But now he le- seems to be interested in Maddie. And, and then she starts getting really mad at Laura. Yep. And like, we're still trying to solve your problem. Problems. You're so selfish. They didn't bury you deep enough. Jeez. She's yeah. being a petulant teenager, jealous teenager. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and of course, Speaking she's, of she's, 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 yeah, she's, she's upset about Maddie and James. So, of course, we cut to James going to visit Maddie at his house because he's upset. Um, he's mumbling something about his mother, which leads to them kissing, um, which is interesting because this is actually refers to a scene that got cut from the episode. Um, apparently there were, there was an episode there, uh, where James and his mother was, uh, going to have a, a fight and they actually filmed it and it was going to introduce his mother into the show, but it got cut and actually the footage was lost. They, they tried to find it for the Blu-ray release, uh, Twin Peaks a couple of years ago and they couldn't find yeah. it. So I think that's Eerie. interesting. Yeah. Cause yeah. it's kind of out there. It's like, why is, I, it would make more sense for James to be upset about Donna, but he's mumbling about his mother again. And then Maddie, of course, kisses him to solve it. Um, and of then, course, yeah. of course you would, because you don't want there to be any misinterpretation. Uh, and then the kiss turns into a hug and then the horrible song starts playing and <laughs> the then Donna shows song. up. Horrible because song. Donna always shows up as soon as they're doing something intimate. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then which is great, which is the, this, the, the, the melodrama of James. So Donna, see, the stupid song plays. Donna sees him. She gets mad. She storms out. James gets mad, trashes a table in the Palmer's living room. Right, this is right. His, his house. house. Yeah. And then runs after Donna, who drives off in a minivan, and James is on the street yelling like Marlon Brando. <laughs> Right. Going, well, it's, it's, it's Brando uh, meets Rebel without a cause, yeah, right? Exactly. You're, you're tearing me apart is a little bit in there too. Yeah, but instead instead of instead of good dialogue like you're tearing me apart, he just yells, "Why?" and then why? stomps. 
And so then I guess he leaves because we cut back to the Palmer household where Maddie is looking at the picture of Laura and crying and she's upset and she's talking about how she doesn't understand what's going on. Her cousin died. She came for the funeral and now she's caught up in all this stuff and turns out she's pouring her heart out to Leland. Um, and again, I feel like this is a sign that Maddie, maybe you should have gone home a couple of days ago after the funeral. <laughs> like really, you really, really don't need to be there anymore. <laughs> exactly. And if this is so terrible and awful, even with your little crush on James, you probably should have gone home. Yep. Uh, and sort of non sequitur, we have Leland reminiscing about life on those summers up at Pearl Lake. Yep. Now Pearl Lake is where he knows Bob from and Bob Creepy. is wanted for murder. And so life on Pearl Lake doesn't seem to have been a fond memory until just this moment. Right. Yeah. Which is uh, again, tying Leland to Bob and bringing it up. And then we get, we get, we get gladdered again because then the camera cuts and reveals that Truman and Cooper just let themselves in. Yeah. <laughs> and, that was unlocked. Yeah, you got, you got to wonder how long they were watching this whole scene lay out, you know, because obviously James left the door open when yeah, exactly. he, when he came running yeah. out. Yeah. But I do like the camera trick of revealing that they're there again. Yeah, yeah. The third time again, it happened. You've uh, been gladdered. You've been gladdered. But, uh, but then, uh, Harry informs Leland that he is under arrest for the murder of Jacques Renault. And that is who Dr. Jacoby saw. Now so, we know. Yes. Uh, and, and that feels like where I would, think this episode would end should have right ended. Should that have big ended. shocking uh ending but instead we end up at harold's house again where donna is talking to him about james because she doesn't know where else to go so of course you go to a shut-in's house when you don't know who else to go because he's not gonna be talking you know he's home uh and then quotes a saying he quotes a saying to donna that laura used to say about donna you know yeah. donna madonna there's always manana which Donna should be way more freaked out about, to be honest. It's there's a whole lot of stuff going on here. I mean, first off, I don't like Donna runs to Harold's house after just meeting him that morning, who she's known right. for for maybe three minutes now. That like could she, be a teenager thing, though. I could. I, I don't could know where else to go. Yeah, and but again, acting as the cipher for Laura and and him revealing these things that he knows, and and he immediately he's like, "This is about James Hurley, isn't it?" Like, how did he know this? It's so creepy. Um, but this is all just the reason to give us the cliffhanger as, um, he, he goes to get her a drink and she gets up and she, after wrapping her in a blanket in a creepy manner, um, mm. and he goes to get her a drink. She's looking at a nice flower and she notices on his desk, there's a book and she opens the book and it says the diary of Laura Palmer. And, we got another diary. Oh, and this is, so this, this is, I, I don't know if we can do this in this episode or we do a whole, we might have to do a whole separate episode on the diary, but this in... I don't know when it came out. I think it was August or September before season two started. They released this secret diary of Laura Palmer, which was a complete book, which I bought. Sarah Lane mentioned it on the show when we had her. Yeah, on. I checked it out of yep. the uh, University of Illinois library. Yep. And it, when it, it came out and it was all it was this this entire book. Now, it was a little more fictionalized and a little more, you know, like, and very rarely was there actual, you know, the, 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 the diary entries in the TV show didn't match the diary entries in the book or whatever. But from a 13 year old perspective, this book was revealing. So yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot to unpack here. But, ha-cha-cha. Uh, yeah, ha-cha-cha indeed. But, uh, but yeah, but this is the, this is the revealing of it on the show, which became, uh, the secret diary of Laura Palmer became like a bit, you know, you talk about those memes or whatever, who killed Laura Palmer, et cetera. The diary was one of them. So. Yeah, the secret diary was a huge deal uh, at the time. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, that wraps up this episode. Uh, did we figure out who the man behind the glass was? Uh, Richard Tremaine? 
Is he? Because well, he? he was he was doing his hair in the glass. I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. I don't know. I don't yeah. think there was a man buying glass, but okay. Those, those wacky Germans. Ah, those <laughs> Germans. Uh, Diane, take a note. Uh, I've got one. What do you got? All right, I've got one too. My, mine is that every scene in the hospital features an orderly with a wonderful early 90s mullet. You know what? I totally missed this watching go, it. Go it back uh, I, I saw your note about this and I'm like, oh man, I didn't notice his recurrence. So when when Ronette Pulaski is being uh, tied to the, when she's being sedated, he's holding her down. When uh, Nadine is being held down, he's holding her down. Uh, when they go to see Jacoby, he's doing something outside Jacoby's room. Every hospital scene has got this extra with a mullet. And I don't know who he is and I want to find him. He's it's, good it's, at his job. I know. I mean, it's like a great, great extra. He's not mentioned in the credits. He's nowhere, you know, like, but he's he, not on IMDb. He, he, just a big dude with a mustache and a mullet, just like they had in 1990 in the Pacific Northwest. So. <laughs> uh, well, my note for Diane is that Lenny Von Dolan, who yeah. plays Harold Smith, as we mentioned, also played Sheriff Andrew Jackson <laughs> in an episode of Psych, which was a tribute to Twin Peaks. Sherilyn Fenn was in that episode as uh, well. Bobby Briggs. Uh, Bobby uh, Briggs was in that episode Cheryl as well. Lee, Cheryl Lee was in it. Cheryl Lee like shows up. Dana yeah. Ashbrook, right? I believe the episode was called Dual Spires. Yes. Yes. That is the very one. And I remember when, uh, it, came, when it came out, that was like the big Twin Peaks hubbub of that year. It was like the, the episode of Psych that's a tribute to Twin Peaks. <laughs> and, and the funny thing was when Lenny Von Dolan shows up, in that episode, the first thing I think is like, wait, is that Andy? Yeah. Uh, but no, it's definitely not Andy. And so I had to go look him up and I'm like, oh my gosh, he was Harold. Because yeah. you kind of forget about Harold if, if, if you're not currently watching the show. I, I wish I could forget about Harold, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but he did a great job as Sheriff Andrew Jackson. Of course, Andrew Jackson, because it's the president's name, play on Harry Truman, et cetera. Yeah, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Good episode. Go back. If you're a Twin Peaks fan, when you're done watching this, all this, go back and watch that psych episode. You'll laugh. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Uh, we got a little bit of feedback. Thanks to everybody who keeps emailing us. Feedback at damnfinepodcast.com. Keep those emails coming. We love to hear from you guys. Uh, Chris says he's been listening since the first show, and I'm probably one of the more rare people who are watching Twin Peaks for the first time. I think he, rare. I think rare. it's rare. Yeah. Uh, apologies for showing your typo. I should have read ahead. Uh, Chris says, I've always heard about the show, but just never watched listening to your show after i watch an episode gives me great insight into stuff i might have missed or didn't think was important at the time i started by listening to your show before watching the episode but i found it more enjoyable to watch the show first and i i would assume that that's what most people would do but the idea of listening to our show before watching the episode is interesting almost like a a guide to to watching it ahead of time. I'm wondering if there's anybody doing that. Yeah, I know. It's, it's curious because I, I, I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of the listener because having watched the show already, I've, I could listen to this and, and then I would want to go watch to see the things that we're talking about and things that we didn't notice and all that sort of stuff. And I wonder when's the right order to do it. Um, if, you're, if, if you're like Chris watching yeah. it the first time, I would definitely recommend watching the episode yes. first, then listening to our description. Yeah. But if you've already seen it, it might be kind of cool to reverse that. I don't know. Yeah. Well, tell us tell us what, how you're watching it. You know, Either hit us up on Twitter or email us at feedback at Damn Podcast. We want to hear how you guys are doing it. Um, because, yes, a couple people ask me on Twitter. They're like, oh, you know, I've never watched it before or I'm watching again after time. How, how should I do this? Should I listen to you after I watch the whole thing? And I think doing episode by episode is great because on a weekly basis, watch an episode, listen to the show, or vice versa. 
damnfinepodcast.com. You can leave some feedback there. Uh, follow damnfinecast on Twitter or feedback at damnfinepodcast.com. Uh, and if you like us and you want to make sure that we keep doing this show, even though we're going to because we love it, uh, you can kick a dollar or so an episode our way at patreon.com slash damnfinepodcast. And, and you're, if you're not a supporting patron, you're going to want to be because we've got some cool stuff planned uh, as we get closer to season three. So uh, that's definitely uh, definitely something you want to get in on. We thank everybody who's done that. Thanks for listening to A Damn Fine Podcast. We will be back next time with the episode Laura's Secret Diary, Ooh. which is obviously going to tell us more about Laura's Secret Diary. Oh, or will it? Naughty. They're German titles after all. <laughs> uh, thanks for listening. I'm Tom. And I'm Ron. <laughs> <laughs>